You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now... Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to be interviewing our good friend Craig Hansen. And this podcast is entitled Confessions of a Former Christian Zionist. And I think you'll find this very, very interesting because Craig came through a journey of faith. Craig has been a follower of Jesus Christ for many, many years. And we'd like to get Craig's story what caused him to consider changing from the ideas of a Christian Zionism? And we'll talk a little bit about what that means, ladies and gentlemen. If you've not seen our video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and Turning, we urge you to watch this after this presentation and do some investigation on your own. You may know friends or family members that are suffering from the same deception We think it is a deadly deception that many Christians here in the United States are influenced by this notion of Christian Zionism. So, Craig, thank you so much for working with We Hold These Truths. We really appreciate the association, and we are pleased that you want to talk about your story, The Confessions of a Former Christian Zionist. Welcome. Well, thanks, Tom and Chuck. Trying to think back how many uh, years we've been associated i think it's probably three or more years this is a um, paper like a maybe like you could say a position paper i'm trying to write and to get on the uh, on our website and so i uh, think think of this this presentation tonight kind of like of the, the trailer to the movie that will be released at a later date but uh, yes. i'm going to go through some of my journey and then uh, just open it up for questions with you guys and then we can we can see where it goes from there it starts out like this Confessions of a former Christian Zionist. I was raised in the evangelical Protestant church from before I was born. When the church doors were open, we were there. I don't remember much about the theology that was taught in those early days, but I do remember that the pastor was sure excited about talking about hell. I don't think I ever heard a sermon when he wasn't yelling, scaring people into the kingdom, I guess. In 1970, Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, which popularized pre-millennial dispensationalism, and I'll refer to that as PMD throughout this uh, presentation. That teaching had been embraced by the church I was attending while at college, and since God was using that fellowship in a mighty way to impact my life, I just naturally accepted all that was being proclaimed from the pulpit as gospel. Movies like The Exodus, Silver on the Roof, helped to reinforce my Zionist beliefs, even though I wouldn't have called myself a Zionist. I was just a Christian who believed the Bible. After college and desiring to know more about God, I enrolled in an Assemblies of God two-year discipleship school. Again, the Lord used this school mightily to impact my life and give me a hunger and thirst for his word. Looking back now at the teaching, I can see that it was heavily PMD, but at the time, I just accepted it as, that's what the Bible taught. One phrase that the president of that school said that always stuck with me was this, quote, you don't worship God you worship your concept of him, end quote. Showing how important it was and is 
to make sure I, we, discover the truth about God and his word. I became a seeker of truth. Fast forward to marriage and family. We had a Jewish family across the street. Our kids grew up together. We attended bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, celebrated Hanukkah with dreidels and a menorah. Life was good. I was very content with my belief system while reading the latest novel in the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. The Jewish family outgrew their home and moved away, and so did we. We found a new home in a nice neighborhood and began settling in. We started meeting our neighbors, and to our surprise, there were three Palestinian families who were all Christians. What? Christian? Palestinians? I thought all Palestinians were Arabs who wanted to kill Jews. So here comes my epiphany, learning of their struggles in Palestine at the hands of the IDF and the Israeli government, loss of property and land, fleeing their homeland for a better life for their families. My theology was being challenged. What was wrong with this picture? I live in a country that supports a nation that is persecuting my brothers and sisters in Christ and going to a church that justifies Israel's actions of taking Palestinian lands for their own settlements in violation of international laws, all the while claiming that this is God's will. I had to find the truth. I'd learned a word, Zionism, and specifically Christian Zionism. It is summed up in the answer to a simple question. Do you believe that the formation of the modern state of Israel in 1948 is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy and that today's Jews have a right to the land? A yes answer makes you a Zionist. A no answer an anti-Zionist, which is right. I've always been taught that it was a yes. My quest for answers had started. Proverbs 18.17 states, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. I'd been steeped in Christian Zionism without even knowing it. Now it was time to examine the other side and see which view of Israel, the Jews, the Lamb, the promises, the prophecies, and current affairs best represented the truth of God's word and the nature of Christ. As I was starting my journey of exploration, I felt a little like Alice slipping into the rabbit hole because Zionism is a house of cards, and once one of its foundational premises is questioned, the whole structure begins to totter. I had to make a choice. Was I going to stay in my own comfort zone or continue seeking the truth? Really, there was no choice. I had to press on. Red pill, blue pill, this is from Wikipedia. The terms popularized in science fiction culture are derived from the 1999 film The Matrix. In the film, the main character, Neo, is offered a choice between the red pill and the blue pill. The blue pill would allow him to remain in the fabricated reality of the Matrix, therefore living the ignorance of a lift. While the red pill would lead to his escape from the Matrix and into the real world, therefore living the truth of reality, even though it is harsher, more difficult life. I took the red pill. Searching for material in Christian Zionism and Zionism led me to We Hold These Truths, where I found a group of people who were also awakened former Zionists. Each had a different story, but a common theme of realizing Christian Zionism does not represent Jesus. Back to Proverbs 18:17. I started examining the assumptions of Christian scientists, many of which I still believed at the time, and held them up to the scrutiny of God's word. Here are a few that I found. One, 
Jews today have a direct ancestral link to the Jews of the first century and beyond. Two, the Bible is a flat book, and any scripture has as much value as any other. Three, forever, as used in the scriptures, has the same connotation it does today. Four, the promise of the land to Abraham and his descendants is unconditional. Five, there are no conditions for the exilic return. Six, Jesus' death and resurrection has no effect on the land promise. Seven, the Jews have an important role in the end times. Eight, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 has no effect on the Abrahamic land promise. Nine, Judaism today is the historic Hebraic faith. Ten, anyone who is anti-Zionism is anti-Semitic. Eleven, in any conflict, Israel is always defending itself. Twelve, all Jews are Zionists, and any who aren't are self-hating Jews. Thirteen, even though Israel is not perfect, it must be supported and not criticized, lest God's wrath fall upon its criticizers. And so that's where I, I started, and there's, there's the assumptions, and I go on to go through the different ones. But I thought we could just open it up for any, any questions at this point, and I could uh, can share with my scriptural journey and just as the verses and where we've gone through there and reading books along the line. Guys, any questions? Craig, you've brought us forward partway, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the rest. And I'm sure that the first thought in your mind was to go back and try to change the people you grew up with, knew the best, and who were Zionists with you. And I'm going to ask you, what have you found to be the most effective way to approach loved ones, and what have you found not to work? We all have that experience in our own lives, most of us having come through some form of Zionist experience in our lives. Well, what works is that old thing, what would Jesus do? When you, you look at the suffering, the pain, the feeling of land and so forth, the horrors that have been caused under the banner of Zionism, that tends to touch people. But I, I have to say, Chuck, people that are so ingrained in a PMD, it doesn't matter. They have this mindset that whatever Israel does, God's going to judge them for that. That's not my place. My job is to support Israel no matter what. And it, it's a shutdown. Even the church I attended that I ended up finally getting removed from the worship team because of my uh, anti-Zionist views. Right on the wall of the church, it says the Bereans were more noble because they studied the scriptures to see if these things were true. You're talking about the teaching of Paul. So when I would bring up scripture, why do you think Zionism is good? I would question, and I could never get a um, good answer. Every time I question you know, the, the, the right to the land, because that's always a big deal. You know, the Jews have a right to God gave them this land, da 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 And I say, show me in Scripture. And any time they'd show me in Scripture, it was always in reference to the Babylonian captivity and the exile are there, and then the promises of return back to the land with Ezra and Nehemiah. There's no question that that was a prophecy that occurred. But the 1948 doesn't fit. And so I would challenge the Scripture. And typically what happens is they get angry. That's the other response. So I, I have to say, Chuck, you know, I, I have not had really good success rate challenge people who are hard in PMD. They just they won't they won't accept it. Okay, what what changed you was meeting Palestinians 
and realizing they were real people and you somehow believe what they said. Is that sort of how it began? Exactly. It, when you put faces, oh, wait a second. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to be representing Jesus. These people have suffered because of my church, in a sense, my, my Christianity, has persecuted their version of Christianity. What's wrong with this picture? There's got to be some kind of epiphany. To me, it, it can't be just an intellectual thing. Maybe, for some people, maybe it can. But there has to be some flesh and blood put with this thing. That was in my case. I'm sure you know many other people who have come out of uh, Christian Zionism. There's something, when you recognize, whether it's something you see on the news, whether it's, there's some, the, the horrors in Gaza, you name it. One of the things I've got that's going to be in this paper is a chronological list of dates that are important throughout this. And so often people say, well, 1948. Well, no, that's not where you start. And in trying to answer this question, what is wrong with Christian Zionism? Where does it come from? I went back to uh, 1881, 1884, where the first uh, Russian Jewish pogrom. And that was the first immigration from Russia to Palestine. That began the discontent with these people coming in and taking over Arab land, whether they were Muslim Arabs or Christian Arabs. That was the beginning, you know, 1881. And then it just goes on on down the list. So to look at any any problem like this, I think you you need to go back to the sources and where it comes from. And then, of course, as we we hold these truths, we, we go into the Schofield Reference Bible, we go into... You know, Dallas Theological Seminary, how it produces this, produces the pastors who teach this to the churches, and the churches get all wrapped up in this, and then they, then they bring in people like Kufi to lobby Congress and support, support the nation, and it's, it's just this big ball rolling down the hill, and we've got to realize, you know, where it started from. Well, I think we've all had experiences like that. We've had the difficulty of what we thought should be easy. We really thought we could go back and talk to the people that were uh, deacons with us in the church we were in, or the people who you served with who knew you, and you could go back and say, hey, I've discovered something, I want to tell you about it, and uh, and it's real simple, uh, it's just that we have our scripture all messed up, and uh, that they would listen to us, and we've found that that hasn't worked very well. We find out that uh, the people that listen to us are a surprise sometime, aren't they? And it's very difficult, we've all, I think, had your same experience, it's very hard to change the people closest to you. Exactly. Craig, I have a question. This is kind of a general one. Do you think in your experience with fellow Christian Zionists, is it the unwillingness to change? Is it is it a belief that maybe they're going to lose their salvation? They've been told this. They've seen the, they bought into the, the, uh, the bad apple, if you will, and is, have treated it as gospel, and that to change their position would somehow jeopardize their salvation uh, with God. Or, I mean, uh, it's it's a tough question, I guess. Well, what I've seen, and this this is, in a sense, it's kind of damning. But a lot of people don't want to take the effort to find out. And you know, they go to church on Sunday, they they listen to the pastor. They, you know, they, you hear this interpretation of the scriptures, and, and this, it's it's the same place I was before. You know, it's like okay, he knows more than I do. He's been to seminary. He's been to Bible college. He's been a teacher. He dot da dot da dot da dot. 
He knows Greek. He knows Hebrew, all this. And so what he says, he knows more than I do. Who am I to question him? And so that message gets out there, and the people, frankly, are, just, are content with that. And so that there has to be a point of discontentment to question the status quo. And for me, it was my Christian-Palestinian neighbors. And for someone else, it could be something else. It could be maybe something on the news they see. You know, it's like, well, you know, like Rachel Corey's story that was run over by the tank. Well, what was she protesting? Wow, she was killed for standing up for a right. And wow, that people should be, be killed for standing up for good. You know, you should be, if you're going to be killed, be killed for doing something evil, not, not for doing something good. And there's something in the core of all of us that recognizes the injustice. And there has to be, I hate to use the word cognitive dissonance, but there has to be something that says evil is okay because God's working something else out in this. To me, a lot of it is taking, and that's why I talked about the flat book of the Bible, that they're able to take this warlike God of the Old Testament and picture it, bring it forward, and totally you know, violate the nature of Christ, but say, well, that's what you know, God did back then, so God can do that now. And even though Jesus wouldn't do in that, but you know, God, and it's, it's this big maelstrom of confusion, and so then they just throw their hands up and don't, don't deal with it. Craig, you talked about PMD, premillennial dispensationalism. For the benefit of our listeners who really don't know what that is, maybe they're, maybe they're involved in a church that teaches PMD and they don't even know that's being done, or maybe they go to a mainline church that somehow has avoided that, although most have not avoided it entirely. But can you just give us a little outline of, of some of the basic beliefs of PMD that uh, people might identify with that, that would help them understand what we're talking about? Yeah, the basic thing, and we we talk about it, and the, people can search it. it the, the Schofield Reference Bible is really is where this, this thing starts. And this is back in the late 1800s, and it was it was really it dovetailed great with the political secular Zionist ideas of the late uh, late 1800s. It's the notion that there's this dispensational, where in the dispensation of grace, there's been all these different dispensations throughout God's plan throughout history. And God has a plan for the Jews. He has a plan for the church. The, the Jews are his, his earthly people. The church is his spiritual people. You've got these two parallel tracks going. The church is going to be raptured and taken away out of this coming chaos. There's going to be a you know, tribulation period, and then there, there's different debates whether the rapture occurs before, mid, after, and so forth. And the church gets taken out. Israel gets restored. There's a, there's a, a third temple that gets rebuilt, and it, it's... It's all this stuff that wasn't in early early Christianity. There's no record of this before the late 1800s. This is basically a made-up myth that gets uh, you know, sandwiched and stuck on Christianity in the late 1800s. And then it gets taught by uh, Dallas Theological Seminary as probably the, the biggest uh, proponent of this theology that's gone on. And it's really popular when you look at all the television pastors that have just taken this thing in and run with it. It's, I don't, it's almost like a get-out-of-jail-free card. It, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but Jesus is going to come and rapture us and take us out of it, so we don't really need to be as involved in this world, you know, occupied till I come, kind of in Jesus' teaching. So it's not good theology, and if you do the research on it, you find that its, it's roots are not good. So 
I don't know what else to say about it, but it's pretty much what's taught in all the evangelical churches. And to try to speak out against that is like going after the virgin birth or the deity of Christ. I mean, it, it is on that level of acceptance in these churches. Some of the main personalities that we hear today on the TV who would fit into that category, I can think of one with the late Jerry Falwell, was a, oh, yeah. a you, successful you can, almost, Christian al- Zionist. Almost anybody, anybody of the television pastors, you know, of course you've got Falwell, you've got Benny Hinn, you've got Chuck Smith with the Calvary Chapel. Pretty much you can think of anybody that's had a successful radio TV ministry would fall into that category. And of course then the John Hagee the most prominent Christian Zionist pastor of our day, I would say. Well, he definitely has the most influence. How he's got to that status is definitely questionable. But Christians United for Israel is definitely Israel propaganda or a lobbying arm. And Hagee himself has called it a Christian ADL. That's its whole purpose. And when you get churches like the one close to you in Arvada, where here is a Christian fellowship, actually supporting an illegal settlement in the occupied territories in in Israel that they're supporting and helping to build and steal land from the Palestinians. One of the other things I've got in this paper, I've got a list of 31 books that I've read either whole or in part since uh, we, we, I started on this journey. And the more I get educated, the more I realize I go, you know, this is incredible. And if people don't want to take the time to go there, then you can just take the blue pill and stay in that world of denial and just be very happy. And I hate to say it, but most Christians are like that. They like going to church, reading the Bible, have a a good worship time, they feel warm and fuzzy, and then they come home and watch the, the football game. Craig, We Hold These Truths really began as a revolt against the movement for war, We realized at the very beginning that our Christian Zionist background had led us into the position where most of our friends were supporting the serial wars that the United States was getting involved in back in 1990. It really was coming on before 1990, but of course first resulted in the bombing of the Iraqi military in Kuwait. A few years later, the bombing of Baghdad, the total destruction of this marvelous city of Baghdad, the very place where Israelites were captives. Can you give us some thoughts in how it is that Christian Zionism comes to support the notion of perpetual war in the Middle East? I think this is one of the key reasons that We Holy Truths was started. It was the motivation that we thought of when we did it. Would you care to treat that a little bit and tell us how someone who's taught loving Jesus in Christian Zionist way in a church like those of Jerry Falwell, for instance, how that leads them to end up supporting war against the Iraqi people, the Iranian people, no sympathy whatsoever for the millions of people who are, are suffering, dying, starving, come out of Syria, a place of great biblical history, beautiful biblical history of Syria. Paul started out in Damascus. Wasn't that where he was struck by Jesus and came to know Christ on the road to Damascus, right? right? In Syria. So an ancient biblical state, it's been now completely destroyed militarily by our Christian country. Can you kind of explain 
how people are led into this because I think this is really important. Well, I'd have to say it's a very orchestrated deception. And I would go clear back to, so this is my quandary when I was trying to write this, how far back do you go? It's clear that you, we need to go back to the Balfour Declaration of, uh, of 1917. And then, well, let's go back a little further. 1909 is when the Schofield Reference Bible was published. And you begin to see that this notion that the secular Jews, and a really interesting thing is the secular Jewish Zionists were a marginal group in all Judaism. They weren't a dominant force at all. They were a small voice. But they were able to come in with positions of power and so forth. And then you look at the serial wars now, but you can go back to World War One, World War Two, and on and on up through there. And you see that it was to get this nation of Israel established. Woodrow Wilson, his support. We've got this one book called Genesis about Truman and the Zionist pressure on Truman and how Truman took money for his campaign from the Jewish Zionist group to be able to support the nation of Israel. And when you try to force a country onto a people that are already there, they are going to resist. If somebody would show up in my backyard and say, I want to start taking you know, the bottom half of your land, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start building a house there, and oh, by the way, I'm going, to, I'm going to take your garage too, I'm going to push that out of the way, I'm going to resist. And so it's no wonder that there's, there's conflict. And so all these conflicts go on and on and on. And it, when they talk about Israel, as always, has, has the right to defend herself. Well, how about the Palestinians have a, have a right to defend themselves from the, the Jewish immigration that has come in since 1881? You know, where is their right to defend themselves? And so on top of all this political stuff, then you put this PMD, this premillennial dispensation theology, on top of it, and somehow... Now, this evil action, stealing people's property, you know, killing them, pushing them off their land, doing all, all these torturous things, now it's justified because it's God's will. And so, to me, that's where the whole cognitive dissonance, how Christians can do this, it, it just blows me away. But I was a part of that, and that's when my wife reminds me all the time. She says, you know, Craig, you were fine with that. How come you were fine with that? Well, because I thought it was God's will until I began to realize where the, what the Bible had to say, when it, when, it, when it doesn't look like Jesus, how can you call yourself a Christian and do things that are so unchristlike, where to you love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, and all, all these things that Jesus taught, you know, blessed are the peacemakers in fulminating for war. So I don't know if that, that answers the question, but mm -hmm. this Christian support of the Zionism, and the Zionism is what's causing the wars, and then Christian Zionists, are the funnel for the, the power structure through the, the funding, the defense budgets, and on and on and on and on. You know, without the Christian Zionists, if, for example, if all the Christians in this country woke up tomorrow and said, you know, giving $10 million to Israel a day is not right. We're going to stop that right now. What we've done is wrong. You've got a blockade on Gaza. We're coming in, and we're going to help those poor people no matter what you say. This whole Israel conflict would stop. What would the Christian Zionist say if you said to him, explain how you uh, can support the war in, uh, well, the possibility of a new war in Iran, uh, let's say, when you think of Jesus' words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
in, in perfect context, by the way, of, of the section where it comes from. How would a Christian Zionist respond when you say something to them? Well, fallback card always is, I will bless those who bless thee, I will curse those who curse thee. Uh, fighting against Iran is going to help Israel be more secure. It's going to help arrest Israel, the greater Israel, become the, the land that Jesus is going to come back on the Mount of Olives. And whatever we can do, and if any of those countries surrounding are a threat to Israel, our job is to protect Israel. That's their mindset. And until that mindset is broken, you're going to have this support all the way to our own destruction. So this is what leads them into supporting wars that really don't have anything to do with Israel directly. Right. Uh, and yet Christian Zionists end up saying, well, I, we, I guess we need that. That's necessary. Mm -hmm. And, they, and, I mean, and they think it's okay for their son to enlist and become right. a drone pilot in, right. in, in, in you Las know, Vegas. It's, it's, uh, Sitting in a uh, if, Benjamin Net, if Benjamin Netanyahu says this is this is good for Israel, then the, then the Zionists are going to go in lockstep and support this. You know, uh, one of the things I get into in this uh, this paper is the whole notion of this God gave this land to the Jews. That whole phrase. You, if you can knock that pillar, and like I said at the beginning, this is a house of cards, and these are the assumptions. You start knocking any of these things, and this whole thing comes crashing down. And clearly through scripture, and I go through one scripture after another after another, showing that the only way the Jews could come back to the land was in obedience and righteousness. There was no other way. And the idea that this is the Jews' land and God gave it to them forever, I open up that word forever, and it's the Jewish word is alam, which had a concept of out to the distant horizon. It didn't have the concept of infinitude, like we have, like, like, well, forever just means it goes on to infinity and beyond. It didn't have that concept when it was written. And clearly from Scripture, the land is God. And if you don't play by his rules, you're going to get kicked off the land. And the only way you're going to come back is with repentance and serving him. And you follow this down into the teaching of Jesus, rejected Jesus. The massive Jews that rejected Jesus were cast away. A.D. 70, it was the destruction. The remnant of the Jews who embraced Jesus as the Messiah became the, the foundation of the early church that, that grew in, the, in the, the whole Christian influence with Western civilization, and it, it, it blossomed out. And it, it, so much of what we have today is out of that, the remnant being faithful in Israel, the Gentiles being grafted into that, that holy root that goes on, and we reap the benefits of it. And, and so now you've got this, this tree off to the side that's really a, almost like the dead tree, and now it's trying to be raised up again and saying, hey, we, no, we, we, want, we want our land back. No, I'm sorry. And I, again, at one of the books, Rob Dalbrimple's These Brothers of Mine, so clearly goes through the scriptural basis on the fact that the Jews today, and however they call themselves, have no right to that land whatsoever. All those land promises were fulfilled to Jesus, and as Christians, we have no business in supporting a political, secular society being a, a land grabber. So, and I think Chuck, you said a long, long time ago, you know, Jesus isn't in the real estate business, and so uh, he's in the business of, of saving souls and and having people follow God. I think something that was not really mentioned in here, I think of the tremendous benefits to me how my life has changed financially and all it wasn't necessarily better but 
I think spiritually and certainly in terms of my self-satisfaction and my ability to appreciate myself, what are the benefits of leaving behind this false religion, this cultism of Christian Zionism? What it's given me is a newfound love for the word and to say, you know, what, what does the scriptures really say about this? Do, do the Jews have a, a right to the land today? What, what does scripture say? And I've, in my Bible reading right now, I've been in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the scriptures you will not hear at a Kufi meeting. I want to read you this one from uh, Jeremiah 12, 7 and 8. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given my beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. The heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me, therefore I hate her. I mean, that's, wow. that's, you, definitely won't, you definitely won't hear uh, this at a Kufi no. meeting. And, and here's another. Uh, PMDs won't like this one. This is Jeremiah 15:14. I will make you serve your enemies in the land that you do not know, for in my anger a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. <laughs> that forever word. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that forever word. And so... Uh, you know, they, they they love using the word forever when it talks about having the land yeah. forever, but yeah. when having God's God's anger kindled against them forever, they don't don't quite don't quite like yeah. that one. Yeah. But we always talk about Jesus doing good to those who teach and so forth. But here in Jeremiah twenty one twelve it says, "O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed." lest my wrath goes forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, that, if that doesn't describe what the IDF is doing in Gaza, you know, they're, they're the oppressors, they're the robbers, they're doing all this, and, and God says, you know, my wrath is going to go forth on you because of your evil deeds. So, frankly, I wouldn't want to be a Zionist <laughs> at this point. Hagee always says, if you don't support Israel, you're not going to be blessed. And the way I read the scripture, if you don't support God's plan of justice and helping the oppressed, you're the one that's in danger. Very good. Good scriptures. And comparing those to Jesus' words, it sure does answer things, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. Give them the real simple words of Jesus. Love your brother, even your enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is, as I've been doing my reading, I, I'm realizing that you know, we, we tend to think, well, all of Israel was taken off in the Assyrian captivity and all of Judah was taken off in the Babylonian captivity, but there was a mixture. There was some of Israel was in Judah at the time and vice versa, so there was a mixture. So when God calls Israel back all where they've been scattered, it's some of the tribes. They were resident in Judah at the time. There's definitely scriptural references where people from the north didn't like the paganism and they, they moved south so they could worship at the temple. So it's definitely a mixture there. And so that was the gathering from all the nations that was fulfilled in the, the return from Babylon. One more. This is a passage that really jumped out to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. This is Jeremiah 20, verse 9. And this is Jeremiah talking about himself. He says, If I say I will not mention him, God, or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. It's like once I've had my eyes open, I've taken the red pill, 
I've come to the realization of what this is all about. I can't shut up. And obviously tonight I had a hard time you know, being quiet too because it's, it's a passion within me that God has, has raised up and I, I can't just be silent. I want to leave you guys one last verse from Jeremiah. And as I've been going through, I just make notes in my Bible as, as I write. And I, I wrote on this one, one of the most damning passages on Zionism. This is from uh, Jeremiah 22, verses 1 through 5. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. That was great, Craig, and uh, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Rob Dalrymple's book. It's entitled These Brothers of Mine, A Biblical Theology of Land and Family and a Response to Christian Zionism. We did interview uh, Dr. Dalrymple uh, some time ago, and that is available. We'll have a link for that, but he is a pastor, and that's really the key because to free the captives, the premillennial dispensationalists that are being held captive by these aberrant ideas are gradually being freed by theologians like Dr. Dalrymple, and his testimony is slightly different from Craig's, but it has some similarities in that he was deceived about the issue himself and he took upon it himself to, to study it, and uh, has done a, a marvelous job uh, from a theological standpoint. In fact, our former pastor, who is now retired from our church, I gave him a copy of his book, and he was very, very impressed by how balanced he was on the issue and so well thought. And so our hope and prayer is that the captives would be set free by more pastors understanding this issue of Christian Zionism, how divisive it is to the church. And as Craig has said so many times, we we have to focus on Jesus, not on these other ancillary type things like who owns the land in Israel. And so we'll also be including a link to Craig's finished paper because anyone that Here's this. We hope that you'll want to do some investigation on your own, and it's only through prayer and study that issues like this can be addressed. And we need to realize that people are held in bondage to these ideas and that people do come out of that bondage. And so that's our job here at We Hold These Truths is to provide some information and hopefully uh, anybody that listens to this will want to do a little study on their own. Check it out. Make your own conclusions, and then maybe you can help someone else come out of these deceptions. So thanks very much, Craig and Chuck. 
Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.